Hi, and welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I'm your host, David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto. This week, we are taking you on a stroll, as it were, through the L.A. Auto Show. You know, auto shows are not what they used to be. I can remember dashing across the show floors on Media Day to catch interviews with the CEOs of GM, Ford, Volkswagen, Chrysler, and then Daimler Chrysler, Nissan, and so on. In two hours, I would have interviewed GM CEO Rick Wagner, Bill Ford, Bernd Pichestrader of uh, BMW, and then Volkswagen, Helmut Panka of BMW, Carlos Ghosn, Bob Lutz, and so on. A notebook so full of notes, I hardly knew where to start my stories. Auto shows were declining before the pandemic, and then automakers began to see how they could bypass the very pricey commitments to these big shows and massive expensive displays and just get their new product stories out via private events and digital streaming and so on. This L.A. show isn't bad for new product entries. Toyota unveiled its new Camry, its best-selling passenger car, and the best-selling passenger car in America. Subaru took the wraps off its new Forester, that's its best-selling SUV. Hyundai unveiled an all-new Santa Fe with a very boxy Land Roverish shape. And Lucid Motors showed its very impressive Gravity SUV. Be sure and read our L.A. show coverage. And in this week's podcast, we're going to hit some of the automakers with brief interviews. We're talking with Karma Automotive Interior Design Chief Nicholas David. Bill Stokes, he's the Forester Model Line Chief at Subaru. Mark DeJong, he's the Toyota Camry Chief Engineer. And Lucid Chief of Design and Brand, Derek Jenkins. We're going to get all that into this week's podcast, and I promise it won't run too long. When we come back from this message from sponsor American Axle, we will chat about some of these cool new models with the execs behind them. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. First up, let's go to the Lucid stand at the L.A. Auto Show and chat with Derek Jenkins. So, yeah, I'm here with uh, Derek Jenkins, Senior Vice President of Brand and Design for Lucid. Derek, congratulations on the gravity. It, it looks pretty amazing, and the specs are pretty amazing. Yes, they are. Uh, it's pretty, pretty off the charts. Uh, we're pretty excited about it. So I have a question for you. When I look at the car, and, you know, by the, at the side, it almost doesn't look that aerodynamic because of the high rear deck. You know, it's normally we'd see something tapered for aerodynamics. Right, Can you right. talk to me about why that choice was made on the on the rear deck and why it is aerodynamic? Yeah, this is a real like uh, I mean. You know, design is all about problem solving, right? And so we're trying to get maximum space in the rear for cargo and to give that spacious third row. You know, we want actual adults to be able to sit in the third row, not just kids. And so you're trying to get over that rear headroom and then taper 
back down because you want that spoiler to be down low to minimize drag. Well, it's same around the side of the vehicles. After the rear wheels, the car tapers a lot, optimizes aerodynamics from, from that point of view. As well, the underbody plays a huge role. So we're, as a result, we're able to have a lot of cargo, a lot of utility, large opening, and good aero. So you're also in charge of brand. And to me, that's where the company, the, the Lucid brand, you know, needs time to sort of seep into the in, into the consciousness of buyers who, who are in this space. And I should say that the gravity starts less than $80,000, which today is not very yeah, much. Yeah. It's actually affordable to very a lot of people. Price. But talk to me about where the brand is relative to the, the additional entries in the EV space that keep coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously air and gravity are a pair of kind of technology statements uh, in the luxury end of the segment, which we define as 75-ish and above. And we've really felt like we need to bring the best tech possible, the best design, and the best experience, both from a sustainability and range standpoint, as well as a performance standpoint, to the market. Um, and then the idea is to move into the more mainstream market in the not-too-distant future and really optimize uh, a product products for a wider range of audience. Take everything we've established in the luxury and bring it in at a more attainable price in the future. Now, Lucid is going with the direct sales model. You you, you have your own showrooms and, and, and all of that. Is that holding you back in any way? It's a very expensive way for a company to get distribution out there. Yeah, I mean, for right now, we, we prefer that model because it allows us to be close to our customers. We take tremendous amount of feedback directly from our customers. And then, you know, we're also scaling. So as we scale and bring gravity to market, we'll constantly be evaluating how that evolves. So does that mean that eventually you might open distribution to, to outside dealers? I think that's something I couldn't answer at the moment. Hey, thank you very much, Derek. It's an amazing uh, vehicle, and uh, we, we wish you a lot of luck with it. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Over to the Subaru stand to have a chat about the new Subaru Forester with Bill Stokes. So I'm here with Bill Stokes, who's responsible largely for the 2025 Subaru Forester at the Subaru stand at the LA Auto Show. Bill, thanks for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I kiddingly just said to one of your colleagues that reinventing or doing a new version of the Forester is a little bit like trying to reimagine the bucket. (laughs) It's, It's been this very, you know, I'll say conservative, reliable thing. It's got a very loyal following. My guess is that they don't like too much change, cycle to cycle. Talk about some of the things that the Forester loyalists have been asking for that you are delivering in this new version. Uh, That's a very, very good point. It's very insightful that our customers really are not looking for radical change from Forrester because they're very happy with the vehicles they have and they, they're very loyal as a result of that. So when we're designing a new Forrester, the idea is to refine, evolve, maybe not uh, bring a radical change, but always keep an eye on maintaining things like uh, the utility of the vehicle and the overall packaging of the vehicle, which has a good combination of uh, large interior space, good cargo space, but in a small package on the outside. So this vehicle's only marginally larger overall on the outside than the previous version, but it's got almost an additional cubic foot of cargo space versus the old one. 
Uh, it's got a lot more style, but it retains the sight lines in and out that our current customers say that they like so much. So you don't see a very pinched rear window. You don't see a very aggressive roof. Um, but you do see substantially improved interior materials. You see a lot more sound deadening inside. You see a stiffer uh, platform underneath. So you improve the refinement of the vehicle. And we've added more technology and more comfort, but not changing what a Forester can fundamentally do, which is be very useful every day, be very uh, utilitarian if you want to take it off-road or if you get into bad weather or any type of situation like that. Um, and we always try to advance the safety as well. So the latest version of EyeSight is on this vehicle. Uh, it's got better uh, rigidity in the floor pan for better crash ratings. So all of those things that people expect from the vehicle, the utility, the safety, the overall usability of the package has been retained, but we've just made it more refined, more up-to-date, and hopefully better looking as well. So talk a little bit about the center screen, which Subaru is vertical, where a lot of automakers have gone horizontal. What's the reason for that, and what do your customers tell you about that? Well, the reason that we've, we've maintained that screen style is, uh, one, accessibility. Uh, we like to keep it close to the, to, the, um, to the driver and passenger so it's easy to access because it is a touch screen. Uh, and other manufacturers have, in some cases, gone to... Uh, sort of screens that are mounted higher up on the dash and further away, so they're more difficult to access. And the solution that those manufacturers have sometimes turned to is uh, knobs or dials that are in the center console. But for us, a a center-mounted screen that's close to the users is very intuitive and easy to use. And uh, because it's not far away, you don't have to use multiple controls to try to access it. And that makes it less of a distraction uh, based on our research than some other types of systems. So we've stuck with that screen because it's, uh, it's a little more usable in that sense. It also is uh, it's a lot like a phone or a tablet in the way that a lot of people use their phones and tablets. They're largely interacted with in a portrait style as opposed to landscape. Mm-hmm. So uh, especially for customers that are maybe a little bit older, uh, they're used to seeing their phones that way and interacting with devices that way. So we, we feel like that's a, a more intuitive way for that customer to use it. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the electrification mm-hmm. strategy. You're not launching with an electrified Forester, but you did tease today that one will, a hybrid will be coming along in uh, a year or so, timing-wise. Two questions. One is, I know that there's been a Forester hybrid available for some time in Europe. So is the hybrid system that we're getting now that system, or is it a newer system? So this is actually a new system. Uh, that's a, a very good uh, good point that we have had Forester hybrids sold in other markets. But the next-generation hybrid system that we're planning on having on Forester is very different from that system, and it's not shared in terms of componentry with the previous Forester hybrid system. So that's the reason that it's a little later to market than the standard hybrid, because it's requiring more development and advanced engineering being an all-new system. Um, so that's a, uh, it's a substantial improvement over the previous version, and we think a Forester hybrid is something that people are going to want um, in large volume and uh, as a very capable system. So we're trying to make it as good a hybrid Forester as we could possibly make it. So here at the LA Auto Show, we're also seeing a, a new Camry introduced and a new Crown SUV, which are uh, all hybrid now. So, and I know, I think our listeners know that Toyota owns part of Subaru. So is the hybrid system that you're coming in the Toyota system or closely related to it? 
Uh, so we can't really talk about the details of the hybrid system right now. Uh, we have shared technology with Toyota in the past on hybrids, um, so it's not a, not a stretch to imagine, obviously. Um, but at this point, all we can say about the hybrid is that there will be a Forester hybrid coming in about a year and that it'll be obviously an improvement in terms of fuel economy over the current Forester. Uh, but it won't. The other thing we can say is that it will retain the symmetrical all-wheel drive system, which is a Forester signature and a Subaru signature. So uh, incorporating hybrid technology into that system is what helps differentiate our, our hybrid products from other hybrids on the market, which in many cases are front-wheel drive or front-wheel drive with uh, electric power to the rear axle sometimes. Uh, we prefer to have an all-wheel drive system that's mechanical, full-time symmetrical all-wheel drive, and so we have to apply hybrid technology to that system. And just the last question for you, which are we talking about a, a straight hybrid or a plug-in hybrid when, when you come to, to market? Uh, again, can't talk about that yet, unfortunately. I had a feeling you were going to say that. But in any case, Bill, it looks like a really good evolution of the Forester, which is uh, just one of those solid, reliable vehicles out there that I know your customers enjoy. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. The Camry has been quite the juggernaut for Toyota. It's been the best-selling passenger car for the last 22 years and uh, driven really Ford out of the mid-sized four-door sedan market as well as, uh, you know, GM hasn't invested much in it and neither has Chrysler brand or Dodge brand. And we have an all-new Camry coming for the 2025 model year. I was able to catch up with Chief Engineer Mark DeJong and Senior Marketing Planner Chat Deschens. Mark DeYoung with Chief Engineer on the Toyota Camry. Mark, tell me just over, you know, from an engineering standpoint, uh, what the high points are for this 2025 Camry over the outgoing model from, from your standpoint. Like, what, what is it that you like to talk about in terms of the improvements? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so first, we're 100% hybrid, which is a big departure. And with that, we also have an all-wheel drive option. And with a front-wheel drive uh, hybrid, we have 225 horsepower standard. And with all-wheel drive, it's 232 horsepower. So being all-wheel drive is really a really uh, big departure, a big change for us. And with that comes the fuel efficiency as well. So we've kind of, we've got the THS Generation 5, so new Toyota hybrid system, Generation 5 here. We're the first one to adopt it with a 2.5 liter uh, L4. And we've been able to retune that, and it really has a more powerful feel to it. So we're using that extra 200, that extra horsepower is really coming through. At some point, since you're the chief engineer, was there ever a discussion about making it a uh, a plug-in hybrid? I'll say, what what do we say with that? That we can't we, we, we we talk we, we I'll say yeah. we talk about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, at, at this point, uh, all we have is, is the hybrid. Okay. So. Yeah, it's kind of what makes sense in the marketplace of what we're looking for on mm-hmm. the vehicle um, and where the consumers are looking for. Again, trying to be the Toyota lineup showcasing electrification for everyone, mm-hmm. giving them that opportunity. This is a perfect vehicle to have at 100% hybrid mm-hmm. where people are still looking at opportunities to get into, into electrification. And this is, again, being the number one seller, this is the best way to go. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, because since Toyota is a, um, you know, I mean, you guys really brought hybrids t- to the world with the Prius that, I mean, I think a lot of people are used to hybrids. It feels like where we are with 
EV mandates and ZEV mandates that, I mean, n- not everybody's all in on plugins. Um, I mean, you guys have pl- some, some plugins. I was just wondering why that particular application was not, not applied to a high, high volume for, as an option, as a, as a trim option. Marketing? Maybe you'd like to. <laughs> so, Mark, yeah, again, kind of goes to the exact uh, answer I just okay. provided is the fact yeah. that with the consumers or what we're looking at today, yeah. with the midsize sedan, they're looking at all the different options that are out there on the playing field. Yeah. And a lot of owners speculating EV, mm-hmm. battery electric, plug in, yeah. yeah. or hybrid and gas. So, this is the best departure for this vehicle to mm-hmm. go into a hybrid for the fact that um, this is the easiest to step into and they don't have to change their driving habits when they get home they don't have to worry about trying to plug in the vehicle or anything of that sort and if they do we have those options if they're looking for that plug-in so that's the beauty of having the lineup that we have is we have something for everyone your purchasing and quality guy was at at the manufacturer's equipment or motor and and manufacturer's equipment conference last week and he said you guys still get inquiries about hybrids and people want to know, do I have to plug it in? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that. But I, I tell people, most people have other things to do that they keep up, you know, with the auto industry if they haven't bought a car in the last eight, eight or 10 years or, you know, something like that. So, so talk to me about the hybrid system. Is it, it, how is it different uh, or how is it the same from some of the other vehicles, the you know where we have a hybrid, you know, like the Prius, like like some other vehicles, it's uh, essentially the same system as the new Prius, okay. except for this Prius has a two point liter, mm-hmm. and we have the two point five liter. Okay, so it's basically the same mm-hmm. hybrid system. Uh, it's uh, more efficient. Mm-hmm. Is, is basically the the biggest thing that we're able to do. So with that efficiency, we're able to bring more power to okay. the vehicle. So those and, are the biggest. And what is the fuel economy on this? Uh, we, we're not really seeing fuel economy numbers yet. Ballpark? Like, yes, unfortunately, we don't have any final numbers you yet. Know, you, I mean, you need a ballpark? Like, we're used to saying it should get about this, but final numbers pending. So, I mean, help me out, guys. We're just not quite at that point yet. Yeah. To, to I mean, but you that. know, you, you guys know what about it's going to get and uh, around, you know. The best, best answer we can basically have is just look at where we are today, yeah. of everything on our vehicles, what are familiar with on hybrids for Toyota. Yeah. And we're in this, this new generation, so that's where we are today. Okay. That's all we can release. Yeah. All right. We can't what, give out any numbers. What's the penalty? Can you tell me what the penalty is from front drive to all-wheel drive? Just when those numbers are out, like is it a, is it a mile difference, two miles difference, or, you know, that kind of thing? I, I don't think we're ready to, yeah, we just to unfortunately can't. So what else technically about the car are you excited about as the chief engineer? So not only the hybrid system, like I'm really anxious when people are finally able to drive the vehicle mm-hmm. when you can get behind the wheel and really feel the difference um, with the drivability. But not only that, uh, we have a new brake system and we've really tuned that to really for the North American flavor. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's really no hybrid feel. You don't feel the regen kicking in or kicking out. Hmm. So I'm really anxious for people to, to drive the vehicle. So How do you define the North American flavor for braking? We have very specific... Uh, we have very specific data that we've studied and said, well, over the years, we've, we've built this kind of uh, 
what we call the, the KPI, the, the key performance index of mm-hmm. what it should feel like, what the North American market is looking for. And what is that? Roughly. I mean, versus the European market or versus? Uh, you'll, you'll feel the, the break is quick. Mm-hmm. So there, there's not a lot of travel before you get into the break. Okay. So, and then there's not a long distance mm-hmm. to, to push through. It's, and it's a very linear feel. Okay. Right. So. Now, back to marketing and Chad Deschens. Uh, talk to me about the four-door sedan market. Some of your competitors have gotten out of these kinds of cars. Obviously, Camry is still there. Accord is still there. Altima's mm-hmm. still there. Sonata's still there. But, you know, we no longer have a, a four-door competitor from Ford. And GM hasn't really put much into that space, you know, in some time. And Chrysler, they're not playing in this space competitively really either. Tell me about this market and where it's going, because all we hear about is crossovers and SUVs. Right. Everyone's talking about the crossover and SUVs over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to sedans, Toyota is 100% all in. Okay. We have the Crown, we have Camry, and we also mm-hmm. have Prius, and we also have Mirai, and we also have the Corolla. So we have an option for everyone across the board. And why sedans are so important for us is it's, the Camry is still the number two seller for our brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we're over 300,000 units that we sold last year. This year, we're going to be looking close to that as well. And the marketplace also is holding right now in the industry about a million units per year. So that's, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means there's a lot of buyers in the United States every single year looking for a sedan. But what's changed is the consumers that we're looking at currently right now, this is what they're looking for. They want a sedan. They've thought about looking at the crossover. They've thought about the SUV. But they look back at the sedan and say, this is the one I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing more sedan purists come into the marketplace. So that's where this generation is really going to showcase off a lot because this is really that unapologetically sedan. It's not trying to be anything else. Mm-hmm. It's giving you everything you want in a sedan with the latest of everything. So you, you guys, you marketing guys tend to know this uh, off the top of your head. Can you t- talk to me a little bit about the conquesting? Like, does Camry still have a fairly you know, respectable, you know, conquesting rate of other brands in this category? For sure. Camry's as being the number one seller for the past 21 years and going to be very soon 22, we always have that appeal. After all, seeing uh, the Camry on the road, over 90% of people know what Camry is. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of joke around of, I wish I, I could find the, the 10% that haven't known what a Camry mm-hmm. is because I want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to this in Conquest, Against some of our competitors currently right now, um, this vehicle holds really, really well. We also have uh, families that stay true with Camry for a very long period of time. So we have a long, strong um, partnership with that as well. And people keep coming back to the vehicle. So and what we're really known for, quality, dependability, reliability, QDR, this vehicle does the best in that segment for this. Mm -hmm. And now we've added all that spice in this next generation of giving that next generation uh, Toyota hybrid system, that extra uh, performance, we think that's going to help pull in some people too because the marketplace right now is about 190 horsepower on average. We're standard at 225. Mm-hmm. And you're getting that impressive fuel efficiency you're looking for from a hybrid. And now you have the capability of choosing between front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. So no matter what you're looking for mm-hmm. when it comes to a sedan, we think we have the best value and the best uh, vehicle for that. 
How much of Camry is fleet, roughly, percentage basis? Um, fleet sales, I can get that for you. I don't okay. want to give you a wrong one, but I can yeah. give you that exact number. Okay. Is it like, you know, just ballpark? Is it like between 10 and 20 or is it? Normal? I'll verify exactly, but okay. it's around that spot. But yeah, let me like give you that exact number. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'd like to have the number. So can I, can I sit in it? And Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anything you want. Thank you. Before we went to the LA Auto Show, we stopped in Las Vegas to have a close look at the new offerings from Karma Automotive, including a pretty cool new hypercar we rode in around the Allegiant Stadium parking lot. We got to talk with designer Nicholas David. So I'm at uh, Legion Field here in Las Vegas, and we're here at the review of new product and, and kind of business plan for Karma Automotive. And I'm here with Nicholas David, who is on the design team for what we're standing next to, which is the Karma Kavea. Nicholas, uh, congratulations on a, on a pretty slick-looking car. Uh, thank you very much, David. I mean, it's been... Uh... It's been a, a passion project. I mean, we're very lucky to be able to work on a project like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, to get in your career to work on a you know GT supercar. I mean, it's a very rare thing to do. And the team have worked like in so hard over the last six months from pretty much sketch to full size to full running to pretty much pre-production development car. So I want to talk a little bit because you've been, I, I want you to tell our listeners kind of where you've been most recently before coming to Karma Automotive. And then I'll have a few questions for you. Okay, great. I've been lucky. I mean, through my career, a couple of different companies in Europe, um, as well as America and for Japanese companies. But I was fortunate to work on the Jaguar CX-75 supercar, uh, turbine-powered in the UK, and the Defender program at Land Rover. Um, and then I was very fortunate to be a part of a small team early on at GM working on the, the Corvettes, which is now the Corvette C8. Um, and now I'm at Karma. But just before this, I was at GAC Advanced Design in L.A., uh, fortunate enough to kind of develop the uh, what has become the GAC uh, Hyper SSR electric supercar in China. So then coming here and working on this, uh, you know, monstrous GT coupe is uh, is definitely a career highlight. Well, I want to ask you. So when when the design team sits down, you guys try to put into a simple statement or a simple statement about what this car, what you're trying to do, accomplish, communicate with this car. So let, let's have that sentence or two that, that you all agreed on as far as this project goes. <laughs> that's, that's quite a question. <laughs> I think, first of all, looking at where we wanted to elevate the brand was the most important thing to kind of give it foundation, mm-hmm. to kind of go to this kind of far more elevated vehicle, higher price point, uh, lower volume to really take it to this ultra luxury space. And I think we just sat down and we just knew we wanted to create the most beautiful looking car, but not something that's polarizing that people are not going to like just for the sake of being different. We kind of wanted to make something that's somewhat classical in a way, but a super dynamic contemporary line work on it. And it's very seamless. So I think we just wanted to make something that is striking. And we knew that everyone was going to ask, like, how did you do it? How did you manage to get that on the same kind of structure that you're using for a Rivera? Mm-hmm. I think that is what we've achieved. And I don't think there's any other brand out there right now that has got a car quite as striking as this. So I'm not suggesting that this car is any way like a pastiche of old cars. But I do want to know where some of your inspiration came from. Because it's, you know, you started from a clean sheet of paper. But you all have, 
iconic cars in your head. And I just wonder what what some of the inspiration was for, for, for this car. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what some of the hardest things that we try to come up with, like you're pretty much starting a brand again. So you're not working from any kind of like a old design work and refining it. It's like, what do we come up with? How do we come up with that something new? And we were lucky that one of the designers, uh, Han Bin, came up with a sketch with this line, which we call the Comet line, which goes from one fender around the front of the cabin to the other side. And we felt that that's a really nice, iconic line that we can use for the other vehicles that we're going to come out with, uh, different kind of architectures. And then we kind of built the surfaces from that. It's very liquidy. And, it, you know, with especially a lot of cars these days using sharp lines and surfaces joining lines, and it can date. There's not pretty much only one sharp line on the car mm-hmm. everything else is very organic and i think that's what gives it the beauty i have to agree it's very classically beautiful like it does look it looks like a modern interpretation of some old supercars that i've seen and there's nothing janky about the exterior lines or the silhouette uh, you know the the cut lines you know, are few and come together really well. This car, uh, for my take, both in having having ridden in it, I haven't had a chance to drive it, but I rode in it uh, and looking at it. This is a Sunday car for <laughs> for California, the Pacific Coast Highway, and for tracks, and so for people with a lot of money. Would you disagree? Maybe this open to a lot of different people, uh, but I think it's definitely going to be one of those cars that you could certainly enjoy on a weekend. You know, it's not... It's built to be an everyday car, but I think you're well, probably going to want to keep. Well, you're probably going to want to keep it nice and safe in the garage. It though, depends right? on where you happen to live. <laughs> I live in Michigan, and and so it's a summer car there then. Well, <laughs> not even because in Michigan, you, you would be replacing the front end every every fourth day that you had it out on Michigan roads because the ground clearance is is it's tra- it's track level ground clearance, which means I'm looking at the front end uh, in front of the front wheels, and I'm seeing about two and a half, three inches max between the road and and the bottom piece. (laughs) It's a a good observation. Our potholes are six feet, six inches deep. (laughs) More careful. Yeah, you'll notice it's kind of sitting in its settled position, so when you kind of park, it can kind of settle down. But it has a lift suspension. So if you're kind of driving around, you can lift it. Oh, okay. And also then it's got the kind of hydraulic lift at the front, uh, a bit like some of the supercars where if you're going on a driveway, you can activate it mm-hmm. so you don't damage it. If you're going into some steep driveways, you know, as you said, in some states, it's a lot more dippy for the snow or mm-hmm. the rain. So, yeah, I think we've definitely taken that into account, but it is a low car. Okay. Hey, Nicholas, David, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Congratulations on a, on a great looking car. David, I appreciate it. Have a good day. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Wow, such great stuff. Thanks so much to our guests. I'm glad we could bring you along on our visits to the stands in L.A. and our stop in Las Vegas. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast 
And you can also play it right off our page at wardsauto.com when you see the article supporting each episode. Just click the link to play and you can listen right off your phone, laptop, or tablet. I'm David Kiley, your host and editor at Wards Auto. Graham Mitchell is our engineer. Until next time, enjoy the ride.